Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! It may be because he's Swiss, I don't know, in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walk and look your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio, February 23rd, 2016. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, coming off quite the week in the world of wrestling. And I'm excited to be breaking it down for you guys right here today on WrestleRant Radio. I'm flying solo, Arge's at internship, so I'll be talking all about Fastlane, last night's really, really good episode of Monday Night Raw, and a few other thoughts along the way that I'll be talking about in terms of The Godfather going to the WWE Hall of Fame, as announced yesterday in WWE.com, and my brief thoughts on the edging Christian show that totally reeks of awesomeness that debuted on the WWE Network immediately following the Fastlane pay-per-view. So we're better to start. I know we got to get right into Raw in a little bit. I'm really excited to talk about Raw because honestly, it was the best show to date in 2016. I told my roommate that when I got back to my dorm last night. He is not a wrestling fan, but whenever I go over, I'll go over to RJ's and come back, he always asked me how Raw is. I told him it was amazing, best show of the year. He said the year is still young, and that while that is true, um, we are maybe 10 episodes in, maybe you know six or seven episodes in of Monday Night Raw into 2014, and that's saying a lot. We've had a lot of really good episodes of Raw so far this year. The first ever episode of Raw in 2016 was really, really good, if you can recall, and then the episode right after the Royal Rumble was also really, really good. Um, I thought this show was better than them all. I thought this show has really surpassed every show that we've seen up to this point. A lot of great build for WrestleMania 32. We've been talking about it here on WrestleRant Radio for months now about how WWE will shape up the WrestleMania 32 card. And they took a big step in the right direction last night with a lot of matches confirmed. Already three matches confirmed. Three marquee matches confirmed for the show of shows on April 3rd. Can't wait to talk about it. But we got to go in chronological order here. We might as well break down the WWE Fastlane pay-per-view from Sunday night, February 21st, 2016 first. Starting with the kickoff show for the United States Championship, two out of three falls match for the U.S. title, Kalisto versus Alberto Del Rio. And a pretty good match. Um, it was your pretty standard, you know, two out of three falls match, a match I always enjoy. This match was no exception. The first two falls were pretty basic. I really hoped that they would go all out. And they did in the third fall, don't get me wrong. But it was your typical case of, and Del Rio's had these kind of matches before, and he's, I'm pretty sure he's always done the same thing. And it's your cookie-cutter heel move when the, when the heel gets DQ'd in the first fall but beats up the babyface enough where they are you know they have the advantage going into the second fall and they just beat the crap out of them and they pick up the second fall and then we get to the third fall. Very rarely do we have two straight falls that, you know, that the babyface wins or the heel wins or whatever. I know Ziggler beat... Was it Ziggler? I'm pretty sure Ziggler beat Cesaro in a two out of three falls match. You know, two straight falls at Hell in a Cell a couple of years ago. But ever since then, it's pretty much been the same formula. But still, a good match. I don't know why I was on the kickoff show when we had those two shitty segments on the show itself with the uh, the Cutting Edge Peep show, which I enjoyed to an extent, but by and large, it wasn't necessary to take place on the show itself. And it's not like, oh, it's taking place in the network. We need to promote the Edge and Christian show that's debuting right after the pay-per-view. 
I mean, when they had, they've had Miz TV on on the, on the kickoff show multiple times before to promote either a new show or to promote a movie or a book or whatever with the Miz or Daniel Bryan, whoever it be, you know, whoever it is. So there really wasn't any reason why they couldn't have had that on the kickoff show. And I mean, you could look at it the way that oh, maybe they're putting this match in the show to promote the kickoff show and make it feel more meaningful, more meaningful. And in that respect, it did accomplish that. I'm not arguing that at all. I just feel like it would have been better had the match taken place on the show itself just because we had a fucking Curtis Axel and R-Truth match. That full 20, 30 minutes that we got of the garbage on the show itself with the Cutting Edge Peep show and Curtis Axel and R-Truth easily could have taken place on the kickoff show. No one would have batted an eyelash. But regardless, still a good match. Kalisto in the end pinning Del Rio with an inside cradle in the third fall to successfully retain the Star Spangled Prize. Now, when I saw that, I figured the feed might be continuing. I got like a... A chilling sensation, but not in a good way when I when I saw that pinfall, just because I had the fear that the feud might continue, and that's the last thing I want at this point. Again, don't get me wrong. I mean, the matches have been really, really good between Kalisto and Del Rio, but we've just seen so much of these two in the ring one uh, against one another over the past month and a half that I'm ready to move on to fresh feuds, fresh opponents for both guys, particularly Kalisto in singles competition. Del Rio's probably going to be floundering the League of Nations, what I couldn't give Two shits about right now. Haven't since the beginning. Still don't to this day. Kalisto, though, has a lot of fresh feuds awaiting him if they go in that direction. I mean, one with Neville, who we teamed with last night on Monday Night Raw. They've been teaming quite a bit lately on SmackDown and Raw and six-man tag team action. Even Sin Cara, which RJ pitched in an article. Um, RJ's two cents on NextDoorWrestling.net. She plugged. Check it out from last week. A title versus mask match at WrestleMania. I mean, even if it's on the kickoff show, I feel like that'd be a great asset to the uh, to the WrestleMania card. I mean, I'd much rather have that on the kickoff show than the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which is going to take place regardless, but I'd rather have that match take place with Kalisto defending his title at WrestleMania rather than Kalisto being involved in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. He has so much momentum right now, and he's gradually getting over. I feel like it'd be a waste just to throw him in that match because he does have direction. Um, as far as Del Rio goes, I'm really hoping this is the end of the feud. Like I said, I'm happy to see Kalisto retain. And it's not like it was obvious that Kalisto was going to retain. I mean, it was the result a lot of us predicted and figured, but you never know with this company. So I was happy to see it happen. And Del Rio, like I said, I honestly don't really care what's next for him. I say that a lot about a lot of people in the company because it's true. I mean, people like Dolph Ziggler, the Wyatt family, even at this point, they just have nothing going on right now that I just don't really care what they're involved in at WrestleMania. And Del Rio's in that, you know, he's in that discussion at the moment because coming off of this feud, and I'm glad the belts on Kalisto are fresh face and it can have a lot of great matches with a lot of great people, with a lot of great opponents. Del Rio, it's not that he's a bad wrestler, and RJ and I have, have talked about this multiple times in the past. It's just that he's basically done it all. I mean, even before he came back, he was a four-time world champion, two-time WWE champion, two-time world heavyweight champion, former Royal Rumble winner, former Money in the Bank winner. A lot of those accolades were accomplished the first year that he was in the company, from 2010 to 2011. And then from 2012 to 2014, he basically did nothing. You know, in 2013, he had that nice little reign as world champion for most of that year, but he really wasn't over. The babyface turn flopped miserably, and um, that's basically where he's been at ever since he came back to the company at, you know, at Hell in the Cell. Beating John Cena clean, but he hasn't been that hot ever since. So I don't really care what's next for him. But Kalisto, I'm more excited for in terms of uh, what opponents wait him now that he's still the United States champion coming out of fast lane. So going on to the actual show here on the actual card, kicking off the event, was tag team action Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch, formerly known as Team Bay in uh, NXT, if you can recall that, many years ago, about two, three years ago, but still, that was an actual thing, um, best at everything, taking on Team Bad, uh, I almost said Sasha Banks, no longer, but Naomi and Tamina Snuka, 
Pretty good match. Um, I was surprised to see the match kick off the show, but not in a bad way. I was actually pleasantly surprised to see the match kick off the show. And someone pointed out to me on Twitter when I posed the question, when was the last time we had a women's match kick off a WWE pay-per-view? And someone pointed out, Insurrection 2003. Now, if that's correct, I'm assuming it is. I didn't go back and check it out. That's almost 13 years. Very rarely. I'm sure if, they, if you go back in time to every WWE pay-per-view that has ever occurred in the last 30 years since WrestleMania, you know, the initial WrestleMania 1985, I'm sure you can count on one hand the amount of women's matches, the, the, you know, the amount of times that a women's match has kicked off a WWE pay-per-view. So history was made in this matchup. It was pretty standard, not a blow-away match by any means, but still very, very good. Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch, you know, the focus was on, was on them for the most part to kind of coexist, and they did. Pulled out the victory with Sasha Banks forcing, I believe, Tamina to tap out to the bank statement, picking up the win there. So obviously building momentum to the um, you know, the long-rumored triple threat title match at, at WrestleMania between Charlotte, Sasha Banks, and Becky Lynch. It was announced on Raw, and I'll get to this in a little bit. It was announced on Raw that a match you know, to determine the number one contender between Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch will take place in the, near, in the very near future. It wasn't announced for SmackDown or for Raw next week. It might take place on Raw next week. Who knows? But that just was announced uh, you know, at some point for the very near future. And that'd be fun with a one-on-one match at WrestleMania between Banks and Charlotte. I actually prefer it. It's just that with Sasha, or rather Becky, not in the picture, I feel like she deserves to be. I mean, she's really been clicking as a babyface ever since she got involved in the Davis title picture in late 2015, and she's been really firing on all cylinders for the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months even. So I feel bad to kind of exclude her from the WrestleMania card, and I don't really... I mean, if she's on the card, period, it would be cool, because I heard there was a rumor that we might get two women's matches at WrestleMania, which is awesome. Um, but at the same time, I just don't really know what else you do with Becky, and I feel like she's a lot more relevant than a lot of the other women they have on the roster right now, even including Sasha Banks, and or rather including, you know, Naomi and Tamina and even Brie Bella, who just, you know, fell short of the Divas Championship um, on this show, which I'll get to in a minute. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I would love to see that match go to a no contest, the, the, the future number one contenders match between Becky and, you know, Sasha. So we'll see, but I would love to see her involved in the Divas title picture just because I feel like she's earned it. So after that, for the Intercontinental Championship, Kevin Owens successfully retaining the title against Dolph Ziggler. I would, I don't want to say a pretty paint-by-numbers match because it was a really good match. It's just that if you've seen one match between Owens and Ziggler, you've seen them all. I mean, Ziggler's beaten him two times out of 12, I believe. Like These guys have had a million matches against each other over the last, you know, Two, you know, over the last year or so since Kevin Owens arrived in the main roster. And they always have great chemistry. This was no exception. Um, you know, Kevin Owens is an absolute riot, like telling Michael Cole to uh, shut up while he's calling his match or to pay attention to the match and telling the fans that, oh, you're cheering me over, you know, your hometown hero, Dolph Ziggler. That was pretty funny. I'll be a bit unnecessary. I don't know if you want to point that out, that Ziggler's not getting over as a babyface even in his hometown. But um, that was clever by Owens. And like I said, a good, well-wrestled match. I enjoyed it. Again, a lot like with the U.S. title match. I never really had much doubt that Owens would retain, but still a good match. Nevertheless, Kevin Owens still the Intercontinental Champion. The only thing that really stood out to me from this match that's something I wish I would have seen, not something I did see, was that I really, really wanted to see Owens take on um, Machine Gun Kelly at ringside, or at least acknowledge him or go up to him and shove the title belt in his face. (laughs) I was really waiting for that moment with bated breath after this matchup. I was really... Hoping for that one moment with Owens just gloating the face of MGK after. Because remember, it was in Ohio. I'm pretty sure it was in Ohio. Actually, I'm positive it was in Ohio when um, he put him through that stage after Machine Gun Kelly performed live on Raw. 
I believe it was the night after the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. RJ and I still talk about that to this day. It's such a great moment, one of Owens' best moments in coming, since coming to the main roster, and just WWE period. And I thought it was a missed opportunity for them to not interact on this show. So, And the thing is, is that they acknowledged MGK's presence at ringside. It's not like we just saw him on the TV, like, oh, I hope he goes over to him. WWE pointed out his performance, or rather his appearance, his presence in the crowd right before this matchup. So you would think that logic would state that Owens would go up to him or say something to him in the crowd. And maybe he did, and I just didn't catch it because the camera didn't catch it. But um, I was really disappointed. Not really disappointed, but I was slightly disappointed that didn't come to fruition. So after that six-man tag team action with the Wyatt family taking on Ryback, Big Show, and Kane, a better match than I thought it would be. I know it's not saying much considering who was involved, but still a pretty decent match, some pretty cool spots, you know, everyone getting all their signature spots in. But in the end, it really didn't matter because the baby faces went over. And I'll talk about this more in the Raw review when they had the rematch and the Wyatt family would avenge their loss on that show. But what the fuck is the point? I mean, I just got done ranting about this on hashtag AskGSM on Monday, about how the Wyatt family mean next to nothing. These guys were, no joke, you know, really no disputing here, the hottest act in the entire WWE, with maybe the exception of Daniel Bryan in early 2014. Right out there with Daniel Bryan is one of the most special and unique acts in WWE at that time. But, you know, coming out of Bray Wyatt's loss to John Cena at WrestleMania, which still makes absolutely no sense to this day, two years later, like, why did it happen? Um, they just haven't been the same since. They broke up the Wyatt family. They put them back together, which I thought was great. But ever since then, they've just lost and lost and lost. They win one, and then they lose another five more matches, especially when it means when it matters most. They lost at, you know, Bray Wyatt lost to Roman Reigns at Hell in a Cell last year. Him and Luke Harper lost to the Brothers of Destruction at Survivor Series. They beat the ECW Legends, the ECW alumni at TLC, but then they have a poor showing in the Rumble. And then they lose at Fastlane 2 to three guys who aren't really relevant at all. To like Big Show, Kane, and Ryback. Big Show, fresh off of his podcast, saying that he doesn't bury people. He rarely wins matches. Beats the Wyatt family clean on pay-per-view. I mean, technically it was Ryback, but you know what I mean. I'm not putting the blame on Big Show. I'm just saying there's no point. And even when they won on Raw, the focus was on Ryback going heel, presumably, and not the Wyatt family. I mean, who did they talk to after that match concluded? After the commercial break, who did they talk to backstage? Ryback. They didn't talk to the Wyatt family. No one cares about the Wyatt family. They've been cutting the same promos, doing the same shtick for the last two years now. They need to evolve, and I kind of put the blame on Bray Wyatt and those guys for not really doing anything new. And you know Bray Wyatt has creativity with his promos, so you got to partially blame WWE and the writers for not giving him something new and for Bray Wyatt for not really innovating his promos and his in-ring work or whatever. They're not having bad matches. That's not the issue. I thought this match was better than expected. I expected it to be a shit fest considering Ryback, Big Show, Kane, and the Wyatt family were involved. A recipe for disaster. But it wasn't. I thought it was a fun match. It just left me scratching my head why these guys won. Why the team of Ryback, Big Show, Kane emerged victorious. There's no purpose. These guys will likely... 90% chance they will not be involved in anything of note at WrestleMania. So why give them the victory? I just thought it was such an asinine maneuver. Again, such an asinine move. And I know they won their match on Raw, but they do not win when it matters most. Bray Wyatt, where feuds go to die, is basically the the mantra of his character by this point, you know? Because that's really what it is. Really sums it up in a nutshell that he loses and the entire Wyatt family lose when it matters most. And this was no different. So I was kind of disappointed by that. A decent match, but the wrong outcome. Char- uh, Charlotte. I almost said uh, Charbella, but Charlotte taking on Brie Bella for the Davis Championship. And not a good match. And like I said in my uh, written review, also on XRWrestling.net, she plug. It wasn't, you know, the blame I do not put on Charlotte specifically or Brie Bella specifically. Um, I 
thought both of them played their roles well. They just don't have chemistry. And it doesn't help that we've seen this match a million times before on Raw, on SmackDown, on Main Event, and Charlotte's won every single time. I don't think Brie Bella's... Other than, you know, actually she has beat her a couple times before. She beat her on Raw a couple weeks ago, but before that I don't think she ever beat Charlotte one-on-one. Um, and I, I thought the story was good. The video package was well done, that she was dedicating the victory to Daniel Bryan and Nikki. Which, I mean, doing the whole Daniel Bryan shtick, how she's going to be doing the yes chance now. She's been doing that forever, not just now. I mean, um, so that really wasn't, I wasn't disappointed or surprised by that. I expected that to happen. With the story they were telling, I didn't really have a problem with it. My problem with this match was that it just wasn't good. I mean, there were a lot of sloppy spots. Brie Bella fucked up a crucifix pin at one point. Charlotte didn't really look good here either. I mean, it was a good win for her, a nice clean victory to build momentum. I mean, clean in, you know, quotation marks here because, uh, I know, I know she got some help from Ric Flair at ringside, but still a nice little win to further her momentum going into the, like I said before, the apparent triple threat or singles match for the Divas Championship at WrestleMania, which is great. But um, I just don't know, you know, what the issue here was, other than that these two just didn't have any chemistry, Brie Bella and Charlotte. So not really a good match. Right result for the match itself. You know, kind of the exact opposite from the previous match. I thought the six-man tag team match was all right, but the wrong result. Right result here, but just the match was just not good. Probably the worst match of the night other than Curtis Axel and R-Truth, if you can really count that. But going on to more positive things here, AJ Styles taking on Chris Jericho in part three of their ongoing series, which looks to not yet be over, which is awesome. And I'll talk about that more in the Raw review. Um, but another really, really good match between Y2J and AJ. I mean, it's arguable whether this was their best match yet. I mean, you could say it was, you could say it wasn't. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd have to go back and watch their SmackDown match to kind of really determine which one was better. Um, but especially down the stretch, I thought this match was really, really good. It did surprise me that Jericho kicked out of the Styles Clash. I don't think it hurt the move. It didn't piss me off or anything, but I thought they would protect the move a little bit more than that, considering I believe this is only the second time he's hit that move. The first one being on Curtis Axel on SmackDown, his first SmackDown match, um, right after he debuted AJ, that is. And I believe this was only the second time he's hit it. Other matches he's won, he's won via either a roll-up or the calf crusher or the flying forearm. So I like how AJ can put people away with a variety of maneuvers. Sheamus had that a number of years ago when he used to win with a brogue kick and white noise and the Celtic cross and the uh, whatever the, you know, the Razor Ramon finisher is, the high power bomb. He doesn't do that anymore and probably became too, you know, uh, pale justice, I think he called it, but became too, ju- uh, too dangerous, I believe, reportedly anyway. Uh, but I like wrestlers that have different finishers in their arsenal so it's not like, oh, I'm waiting for the Styles Clash to put him away. No, he can beat you with a flying forearm or a Styles Clash or even the Calf Crusher, which he beat Jericho with right here. Nice segue there. Um, pat myself on the back. But yeah, really, really good match. Right result. AJ winning clean. Um, afterwards, I figured Jericho would go heel. He didn't. He just shook AJ Styles' hand out of respect. He didn't go heel on Raw either, which was also surprising. But I'm sure it's only a matter of time. It should happen sooner rather than later. But um, bottom line, I want to see more matches between these guys. And it's not like with Del Rio and Kalisto that um, they're just going back and forth and they're just winning for no reason and they're just, you know... 50-50 booking. It's not 50-50 booking. There's purpose behind these matches. One took place on Raw and AJ's in-ring debut. Their second match took place on SmackDown. And their third match took place on Pay-Per-View. And I'll talk about that more in the Raw review, like I said. But if, as far as this match goes, I thought it was really, really good. Um, probably my favorite match tonight, other than the main event. But uh, yeah, really, really good stuff from uh, a- uh, AJ and Y2J. After that, we had the Cutting Edge Peep Show. You know... Uh, Least amount of time spent on this, the better. But I didn't think this segment was all that good at all. I did chuckle at a few of the one-liners that Edge and Christian said towards the New Day. I thought their interaction was somewhat hilarious. Not hilarious, but somewhat, you know, humorous, I guess. 
Um, but other than that, this whole segment was a, a giant waste. League of Nations coming out and New Day leaving, Edge and Christian leaving, and that was kind of stupid. But um, unless this is setting up New Day and League of Nations, this you know I, I understand the purpose this segment was supposed to serve and promoting the show for the network. But if anything, I feel like it turned people off to the show if they thought this was the comedy that they were going to get on it. And I thought the show was all right, to be honest with you. I enjoyed the show. It's not everyone's cup of tea. I know RJ probably won't like it, but there's a lot of people out there that probably won't like the comedy they're trying to go for in their show. And even people, even if you are you know not too in tune with their comedy, if you don't, if you're not really their audience that they're looking for and, and their, you know, for their show, you might, you know, find yourself laughing at a few of the one-liners. The first episode's only 20 minutes. So if you want a, you know, a small taste of what the show's all about, I would check out the full show. Again, if you have 20 minutes to kill, I would check it out. But this segment did the show no favors. I thought this was awful. Um, like I said, a few funny one-liners, but other than that, it was pretty, you know, swing and a miss for the most part. And like I said, New Day and League of Nations, I do not care about at all. I'd probably care more about a New Day and Wyatt family, but anything involving League of Nations, unless it's against the, unless it's against the Wyatt family, which would be all right. Um, I mean, that's a match I've pitched before on Twitter and in various articles. League of Nations and Wyatt family could be a decent match. I mean, no one cares about either stable right now, so I know that doesn't really make much sense on paper, but I feel like if they turn the Wyatt family, give them something fresh to do. And the League of Nations, while they've been booked horribly, you got four really good wrestlers there in Sheamus, Rusev, Del Rio, and Barrett. I know Barrett's not really wrestling right now, and he's, you know, rumoredly gone, reportedly gone out of the company by June, which you talked about last week, and I talked about it more in depth on hashtag SGSM on Monday. Um, but in terms of, as far as this match goes, in terms of League of Nations and New Day at WrestleMania, I just think there's more things, that there's, you know, better possibilities, there's better options to go with. I like the idea of Dudley Boys versus Usos, Maybe with New Day. Actually, with New Day, because I like the idea of a triple threat tag team title match. You can make it TLC. You can make it a ladder match. Make it a tables match for all you care. You know, for all I care. I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me. I just think it could be a really a very entertaining match. The Dudley Boys can win the championships finally on their 20th anniversary of WrestleMania in Texas. It writes itself, basically, on the grand stage. So I'd much rather see that match than League of Nations involved. And I do not want to see a fatal four-way tag team match, which I feel like that's where this is going because we're not going to get Usos and Dudleys and then also New Day in League of Nations. That's not happening. If anything, I think we can get a nice multi-team tag team title match at WrestleMania. I would just much rather prefer a triple threat rather than a fatal four-way just because I do not care about League of Nations. You could still do the tag team title match and then do League of Nations versus Wyatt Family, like I said, because I don't know what the hell you do with the Wyatt Family now. So um, I'd much rather prefer that, to be honest with you, but we'll have to wait and see what they have in store for these, uh, for these tag teams going on. And I was a little bit disappointed that Enzo and Cass did not debut here, but at the same time, I was, I was a little bit disappointed because the segment was so bad, so I was hoping that these guys would inject new life into the tag team division by debuting here. But at the same time, I was somewhat happy just because I feel like a debut the night after WrestleMania would be better suited. And they are coming up. It's only a matter of time. Um, but I just feel like they would get lost in the shuffle right now on the road to WrestleMania. I do not want to see them involved in a multi-team tag team title match at WrestleMania. I'd much rather see them. I'd, I'd much rather see New Day retain at WrestleMania or Dudley Boys win than outcome Enzo and Cass to you know save the day or defeat the New Day, which would be even more entertaining. But you know the Dudley Boys will put them over because that's their place in WWE right now. But um, yeah, I'm somewhat disappointed, somewhat happy, just because I feel like it could lead to a main roster debut with an at the WrestleMania, which might be better suited and better timing so they're not lost in the shuffle on the road to WrestleMania. So after that, Curtis Axel versus R-Truth. Didn't give two shits about this match. I don't know anyone who did. 
I just, the whole R-Truth and Goldust thing, their segments are very hit or miss. I laughed at a few of their early segments, but a lot of them have just been a lot of toilet humor, literally toilet humor, when R-Truth was going to the bathroom and Goldust walked in to check up on him and the cameras were there for some odd reason. Um, they had that dinner date one, which was also really not that funny. So very hit or miss with these guys. I just don't really care that much because I like the social outcasts. I like their involvement, but this match did not need to take place at all. Like I said earlier, I think it would have been better, you know, better suited for the kickoff show just because they didn't waste everyone's time. So anyway, moving on um, to the main event, the triple threat match to determine a number one contender to the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, Roman Reigns versus Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar. And as good of a match as I thought it would be, and I say that in the best way possible, really, really good match. I thought all three guys shined here. I thought Reigns and Ambrose taking out Lesnar, not, you know, putting him not through only just one, but two commentary tables at ringside was great. Putting their differences aside, albeit momentarily, just to focus on the bigger task at hand, becoming the number one contender to the championship at Mania. I thought that was great. And then when Brock Lesnar came back in, they turned on each other again, and Lesnar just cleaning house with both guys, taking taking them both on a one-way trip to Suplex City. That was awesome. Very well wrestled, a lot of hard-hitting action. You know, Dean Ambrose, as um, someone that we watched the show with, um, as he pointed out on Sunday night when we were watching this match, that Dean Ambrose, in the end, hit Roman Reigns with more chair shots than Brock Lesnar. You would think it'd be the other way around for two reasons. One, he's Roman Reigns' buddy. And two, because Brock Lesnar's more invincible than Roman Reigns. But in the end, that cost him, because once Brock Lesnar was out of the picture, Roman Reigns capitalizes, hits Dean Ambrose with a spear, and becomes the new number one contender to the title at WrestleMania against Triple H. Not the most surprising outcome. After what we saw on Raw, I'm open to the match. I'm actually looking forward to the match. Because it makes sense, and after what we saw in Raw with the brawl they had at the end of the show between Reigns and Triple H, that's what we should have gotten at the end of this show, Shades of TLC and the brawl they had then, which was fucking awesome. But um, if they can have that kind of match at WrestleMania, then I'm I'm sold. I'm pumped. I think they can have a really, really good, hard-hitting, physical affair at WrestleMania, and I thought this match was also really, really good. Ambrose, the only real purpose his involvement in this match observed was that he was supposed to take the pin. Otherwise, they would have done Reigns and Brock Lesnar. But I'm happy he was involved because it gave us the feud we have now between Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar, kind of going to the Raw review here. Um, but even before we get into that, I'll just say this real quick. Fastlane overall, an all right show, average show at best. I think mediocre might be the best word to describe this event. I didn't hate the show. I thought it had its moments. I thought AJ and Jericho in the main event were both really, really good. Three, three and a half. I don't know if you would give it four stars, but still two really good matches. The rest of the car left a lot to be desired. The right results for the most part, but no matches that really blew me away. I thought the kickoff title match was good. Could have been on the actual show. The tag team women's match was good. Owens and Ziggler, very good match as always, but nothing too surprising. The six-man tag team match was better than expected, but still the very wrong result. Like I said, the women's title match was not good, but right result. League of Nations, a new day, and the cutting-edge peep show I thought was total trash. Axel Nartruth, total waste of time. In the, main, in the main event, in uh, y, Y2J and AJ, like I said before, was uh, both bouts were very, very good. So if I had to give the show a rating, probably a C plus. I didn't think it was a terrible show. I thought it was right in the middle. Middle of the road show set up a lot of things for WrestleMania. I thought Raw was, did a better job of that. It did plant the seeds for a few things to WrestleMania, but I think, if anything, it kind of wrapped up a lot of the feeds that we had going until the Royal Rumble and now kind of putting us into the next gear going into WrestleMania in just six weeks, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, yeah, I'd give it about a C plus in the middle, leaning towards down. Wasn't too exciting. I think more people were more mad. I think people were more mad about the fact or matter. I don't know what the exact 
you know, right way to phrase that is. But uh, I think people were angry with the fact that the results of this pay-per-view were just so predictable for the most part. I didn't see the baby faces going over in the six-man tag team match, and that was the wrong result. But um, I think people were more upset about Roman Reigns winning again and Charlotte and uh, Kevin Owens, which, like, again, like I said, all the right results, just very predictable. And that's basically February pay-per-views in a nutshell. Very predictable. I don't give a shit. And it's just stuff that we've seen a million times before. But going into Raw here, very, very good show. It was off to a hot start before it even began, before the show even kicked off with Brock Lesnar just ambushing Dean Ambrose in the parking lot. If you didn't see it on Facebook, you probably saw it a million times on Raw um, throughout the show. They've replayed it at least three or four times. But it was a great angle. I mean, they had the crowd standing there too. Dean Ambrose is pulling into the parking lot. He gets out of his car. And then almost immediately is ambushed by Brock Lesnar, who comes through these, uh, you know, the trailers or whatever, comes completely out of nowhere, beats the shit out of Dean Ambrose. The we the, the knees that he hit, you know, that he connected to the uh, Dean Ambrose stomach, I thought to the stomach of Dean Ambrose were pretty weak. But him smashing him in the windshield of the car was great, and the limo I thought was an awesome looking spot. Like I said, because they were pulling into the parking lot. There's always those fans that wait for the people to, to pull in, and they're there cheering, and they want some autographs and whatever. They surely didn't get an autograph from Dean Ambrose that night because they were just going crazy when they saw Brock Lesnar just beat the shit out of him before he got taken out in an ambulance. And of course, Ambrose came back, which we'll talk about in a moment, but still, before the show even kicked off, a great angle, which really solidified the reports that came out earlier on on Monday that Brock Lesnar's new opponent for WrestleMania is none other than Dean Ambrose. And I'm very happy about that. You know, I might as well talk about it now instead of waiting until later on in the show to talk about their segment. I thought this was great. I really, really do love the idea of Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania for a number of reasons. One, we've been getting a preview of it in recent weeks with their segments on Raw and on SmackDown and at Fastlane, and these two have great chemistry. Two, Ambrose and Paul Heyman could have fucking amazing promos. Heyman cut a great promo last night talking about how Dean Ambrose cost him his shot at the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania, and Lesnar's motivations, I fucking love them because he lost the championship without getting pinned at WrestleMania. He goes back after the belt, a battleground that gets interrupted by the person whose streak he ended at WrestleMania 30 a year and a half prior, The Undertaker. They have a match at SummerSlam and ends in controversial fashion. They have another match at Hell in a Cell, beats Undertaker there, sets his sight on the WWE title once again at Royal Rumble, comes up short, goes after the title again at Fastlane, comes up short, but because of Dean Ambrose, so he sets his sights on Ambrose at WrestleMania, and Ambrose was the one who issued the challenge on Monday Night Raw. The fighting resiliency that Ambrose has, that his character has, I think is great. It's only going to make people care more about him and get behind him, rally behind the lunatic fringe. And if he can kind of stop from doing the low blows, which is not really a babyface-like maneuver. I know, you know, um, Dean Ambrose is not the epitome of what a babyface should be. I know he's kind of kind of shades of gray a little bit, but people love him. But hopefully they don't have people turn on him by, you know, low-blowing Brock Lesnar every single week. And why Brock Lesnar has yet to wear a cup to the fucking ring, I have no idea. But um, anyway, I love the idea. I absolutely love it. And three, of which I don't think I mentioned... These guys have really, really good chemistry, like I said before, but moreover than anything else, it's something fresh. Yes, we got it on Raw, SmackDown, at the pay-per-view, but never one-on-one. Ambrose and Lesnar is a great marquee match for WrestleMania. I can give you 10 other reasons. Another reason, it's no holds barred. They can have the match they're capable of having going all over the arena. Those are the type of matches that Lesnar thrives in when it's no holds barred and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Another reason... It's not Bray Wyatt. I love Bray Wyatt, but I just don't think that match would have sold just because the Wyatt family is so damaged right now. No one would have cared, and you know Lesnar was going to win. 
And another reason, it's a big plus for Dean Ambrose. The guy has been, you know, he's been a hot act ever since he broke out on his own two years ago when the Shield, you know, parted ways in the summer of 2014. He was a hot act that night. The very next week, the guy was getting shared as a singles act. I mean, I think the crowd, or rather the audience, rather the um, backstage officials, thought the crowd would sour on him or not really care about him. That's been the farthest thing from, uh, from the truth over the last two years. The crowd fucking loves the lunatic fringe Dean Ambrose. And it's been really apparent over the last, especially the last couple of months. I mean, over the past two years in general, but specifically over the last couple of months, ever since, you know, he had a great showing in the WWE title tournament, won the Intercontinental Championship, which I was there for, in the TD Garden in Boston at TLC. Great match. Had a really, really good feud with Kevin Owens. Um, had a great match with Owens at the Royal Rumble, where he retained the title. Lost the title. Had another great showing at Fastlane. And the guy's been just on fire over the last couple of months. And this guarantees he will not be, I mean, it could be the opener, who knows, but I'm pretty sure he probably higher up in the car. They're not going to put Brock Lesnar in the opener. I mean, they could, who knows? They put Triple H in the opener, but that's Triple H's call. Triple H is no Brock Lesnar, I'll tell you that much right now. Brock Lesnar is a way bigger draw than Triple H. But anyway, you get my point here that um, it's a big get for Dean Ambrose. I was really fearing the worst. I figured that in the last couple of months that, oh, this means he's going to get... The guy didn't even wrestle at Hell in a Cell a couple months ago. Now he's in one of the marquee matches at WrestleMania. This means he won't be in the fucking Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. He won't be in another multi-man IC title match at WrestleMania, which is, you know, the match last year was really, really good. But Ambrose did not win. You knew that he wasn't going to win. And he was just another guy in the match. You know, so I'm really happy he's finally getting his just due in this contest against Brock Lesnar. Like I said, a fucking draw, a big name, and it's going to be a big get for his character, a bigger get for Brock Lesnar, who I'm so happy they blew off his feud with Undertaker at Hell in a Cell, which meant that we can get this fresh feud at WrestleMania and not do that match for the millionth time, which is great. So the match is going to be great. The feud should be really, really good. It's beneficial to both parties. If Brock Lesnar wins, it makes sense. If Ambrose wins and is the first one to pin Brock Lesnar since he broke the streak, two years ago, but his first pinfall loss in almost three years since WrestleMania 29. I'd be stoked for that too. There's so many options they can go with this feud. That, that's why I'm so excited for it. Whereas with the Wyatt family, if it was Braun Strowman or the fucking Wyatt family as a whole or Bray Wyatt or whoever, again, who I've reiterated a number of times I like. I like the stable, but they've been booked so badly, they're not at all a threat to Brock Lesnar. They might have been for a cup of coffee at the Royal Rumble or on the Raw before the Rumble when they attacked him, but I'm so glad they didn't get involved in the main event of Fastlane or on Raw and we're getting that match instead because Bray Wyatt, he's just, I don't know if he's damaged goods by this point. There is still hope yet for Bray Wyatt in WWE, but the whole group has been so badly booked that you know that Lesnar was going to whip all their candy asses at WrestleMania. Rock trademark there, I know. But um, at least Dean Ambrose, he's going to beat the shit out of Dean Ambrose too. But at least you know, one, it's going to be entertaining. And two, Owens, or rather Ambrose, will fight back like the resilient son of a bitch that he is. So I love that idea. I love the idea of these guys facing off at WrestleMania. I thought the angle before Raw was great. I thought the segment on Raw itself was great. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they can produce at WrestleMania. So let's get to, we got to address the elephant in the room here, people. I know it's like, let's, let's see how far we are in the podcast here. We are... Almost 35 minutes into the podcast and have yet to mention it. So kicking off the show, the Vincent J. McMahon Legacy of Excellence Award, which was promoted last week. We talked about it on a little bit on WrestleRant Radio. Maybe. I'm not exactly sure. We talked about it more. Oh, we did. And we talked about it off air last week when we finished re- um, when we finished recording WWE C Radio, airing every Thursday afternoon. Cheap plug. If you want to check that out with me, myself, and Tom. Me, myself. Um, Tom and myself. It should be another great show on Thursday. We were texting back and forth during this segment. Just 
you know, ex- you know, going crazy over who returned here. So anyway, the uh, Vincent J. McMahon Legacy of Excellence Award is awarded to none other than Stephanie McMahon, of course. That By that point, you knew it was a work. And I know everyone was booing her out of the building and everyone was expecting a big name. And I'm thinking, I'm still sitting on the edge of my seat. It's not like, oh, fuck, it's Stephanie. And I was, but it wasn't like, oh, turn off the TV. It was more like my heart was still beating very rapidly, knowing it's got to be a swerve. You know, a la Miz and Jericho from a couple years ago, the Raw that I was at, June 30th, 2014, unforgettable moment. So before she can give her, you know, acceptance speech, here comes the money, here we go, money talks. Here comes the money. And I know I'm not a great singer, but... I had to reiterate that. One of my favorite themes of all time, out comes Shane McMahon, returning to Monday Night Raw for the first time in almost seven years since he was punted in the head by Randy Orton in May of 2009. How fucking cool was that? That crowd went nuts. I lost, I went, I lost my shiznit. I went nuts. RJ can attest to that. He was sitting right there. He went crazy too. He called it too. I can, uh, I can attest to that. He called Shane McMahon coming out seconds before he did. And I was so happy to see that he was right. Um, such an awesome moment. That crowd went nuts for Shane O'Mac. They chanted, holy shit. They chanted, this is awesome. Welcome back. You still got it. The biggest baby face on the roster in the matter of moments was Shane McMahon upon coming out in, um, in Detroit. Such an amazing reaction. I've already watched it back five different times. But um, even beyond that, the back and forth with him and the authority I thought was really, really good. And they just got done talking to Tom about this. A little less than an hour ago when I you know, caught up with him about Raw in person. But we were talking about how happy we were that he did not join the authority, which I'm sure no one was really thinking, but you never really know with this kind of thing. Like, oh, we're going to be you know, opponents for these first few minutes, and then we're going to reveal that we're actually in cahoots with each other. Thankfully, that was not the case. Shane O'Mac is back to take back control of the WWE and bring it back to the... Uh, that the heights that it was once was at, you know, he was talking about the low ratings, the low stock, the plethora of injuries that happened on your watch. You know, he mentioned that word for word in his promo. So kind of a, a work shoot of sorts. And he looked a little older. He's about 46 now. The last time we saw him, he was 39. Um, not the sheen that we remember, but puts him just for men in. He's, and he's perfectly fine, to be honest with you. But uh, really, really cool moment. So he goes on to say that at, you know, wherever... Um, that he wants control of Monday Night Raw. He's holding something over Vince. I don't think it was really revealed what it was that Shane kind of helped him out in his dark days a number of years ago so he could take over control of the company when he wants to. Vince says, I'll make you a deal. If you can kind of keep quiet about the whole thing, I'll give you a match at WrestleMania with an opponent of my choosing or the place of my choosing, which he revealed to be WrestleMania, of course. But he did say... Then um, if you can beat this opponent, you will get full control of Monday Night Raw, which means he gets full control of the company. So anyway, um, we have that happen. Then he says, oh, at WrestleMania, you'll be facing The Undertaker. Oh, and by the way, it's inside Hell in a Cell. And I popped huge. Shane O'Mac versus The Undertaker inside Hell in a Cell. Who would have ever thought? Wow. And not Shane O'Mac's first appearance inside Hell in a Cell. I mean, he did wrestle inside Hell in a Cell in 2006, 10 years ago, Unforgiven of that year, versus D-Generation X alongside the McMahon family, or rather just Vince, in the Big Show in a three-on-two handicap match, you know, the infamous match where Vince got his head shoved up, Big Show's ass, uh, I don't really want to talk about it, but you know what I mean. Um, so that's our another another huge match for WrestleMania inside Hell in a Cell, Shino Mack versus The Undertaker. And we've been talking about it for a long time. And I've been saying, don't count out John Cena just yet. I feel like he might be back in time to make kick off the angle on this show. 
And Undertaker does have an opponent for WrestleMania, and as the reports indicated, it's not someone on the current roster, and it's not. It's Shane O'Mac, which is absolutely amazing. So um, that was really, really cool, and I'm so happy to see that, um, one, that Shane O'Mac is back. He's wrestling at WrestleMania. And what I love about this, too, and like I've said on Twitter, I don't know if I said it on Twitter, but um, I did say it to RJ and to Tom when I talked about him, when I talked to them last night and today, respectively, that if John Cena, by some miracle, I know he's been saying on Twitter and in interviews, he was at the Daytona 500 on Sunday, but he did say that um, you know he is a long ways away from fully recovering, and he doesn't want to come back less than anything. He didn't say like 80%, but I'm sure if he wasn't anywhere close to 75 80%, then he's not coming back, even if it was for WrestleMania, which I was surprised to hear him say, because he usually is regardless of what the ending outcome is, like he came back months early from injury back in 2013 and in 2008, and the ending outcome of whatever he was involved in wasn't really that good. He was involved in one of the marquee matches at WrestleMania, but he didn't need to come back. They could have done Triple H and Orton, you know, in, um, in 2013 when he came back, the Undisputed Championship thing. They could have waited for that until WrestleMania. I mean, thankfully it led to what we ended up getting, but he didn't need to be back at that point in time, so... Um, he could still be back. We still have six weeks, a little under six weeks. We have 40 days, I believe, until WrestleMania. So there still is time for for Cena to come back. But what I'm saying is that he can come back as the surrogate for Shane McMahon. If they want to do, you know, if they don't want to have Shane wrestle and they want to have him be represented by somebody, it could easily be John Cena. If we can get that John Cena Undertaker match at WrestleMania. So either, you know, if Shane wins, which is very possible by whatever the hell happens, by some miracle if Shane wins, um, then not only is Undertaker 22-2 and two at WrestleMania, suffering two losses at the hands of not only Brock Lesnar but now Shane McMahon, we have a new face of Monday Night Raw and Shane McMahon. So this can go a number of different ways. I guess that kind of makes Undertaker the quote-unquote heel in Texas because people want Shane to win. I don't care who you cheer for on April 3rd in Dallas and Arlington, Texas, inside the AT&T Stadium. All I know for a fact is that this match is going to be a lot of fun, and so is the build. I'm hoping he doesn't have to be back every single week in the road to WrestleMania. He did say to the crowd, um, he, he came, you know, he talked before the live crowd after a segment. He came out during the commercial break and he said, "See you at WrestleMania," a lot like The Rock did when he showed up on Raw the night after the Royal Rumble. And I thought, he, "There's got to be, you know, he's got to show up at some point before Mania," and I guess not at this point. And um, so. The Rock, I don't think he'll be showing up on Raw. And I don't think he needs to if he's, just gonna be, if he's not going to be wrestling. But anyway, um, so Shane O'Mac is back at WrestleMania wrestling The Undertaker for control of Monday Night Raw. I'm pretty sure no one could have seen that coming. An awesome angle. They kicked off Raw and the road to WrestleMania on a strong note confirming what um, you know Undertaker's match for the biggest show of the year, which has been in doubt for some time now with John Cena hurt. I don't know what the backup plan would have been, but no one saw this coming. No reports, no spoilers that Shane was there. Great moment. Go back and watch it for yourself if you haven't already. If you did not get goosebumps, then you're not human. You are not a wrestling fan. But to say the least, I am very excited to see where this goes um, as WrestleMania quickly approaches. So on to the rest of the show here and the remainder of the time that we have left here on WrestleRant Radio. Um, Six-man tag team match. The New Day taking on Neville and the Lucha Dragons. Fun match. I don't know what purpose it was supposed to serve other than giving the New Day a win just because the Dragons and Neville aren't feeding with New Day at the moment, but still can't complain about a fun match. I thought the two 450 splashes from Neville and Kalista, respectively, on the outside were fucking awesome. So really, really fun match for those two moves alone. New Day wins. They pick up the victory. Like I said earlier, I won't have to repeat it here, but um, I hope we get New Day, Dudley Boys, and Usos at WrestleMania. I 
don't care about League of Nations. They mentioned him in a Raw Fallout video after Raw went off the air on YouTube, on WWE's YouTube channel. I hope that's not the plan because I just do not care about League of Nations right now. I already talked about the Brock Lesnar and Ambrose segment. I thought that was really, really good too. Just great stuff from start to finish and uh, confirming yet another match for WrestleMania. So WrestleMania, I'm sold on it already on uh, February 22nd when this aired. So I was like, I'm sold. Buy my tickets. I won't be there, unfortunately, but um, I'll be sitting right in front of my uh, TV or RJ's TV, rather, waiting with uh, bated breath to see what happens in both that match and in even the main event, but also Sheen and o, you know, Sheen O'Mac versus Undertaker. So we had Usos in the Ascension pretty... You know, uh, a fine match for what it was. Usos won. Dudley Boys came out afterwards or beforehand, and they uh, just, you know, ranted on the Usos. So a good feud so far. I thought it was, um, you know, it's been uh, you know, it's been a decent feud up to this point. They uh, furthered it very nicely on this show. So like I said, Usos, Dudley's, and New Day at WrestleMania is what I'm having. You know, what I really, really want to say um, is what my sights are set on, basically. Y2J and AJ Styles taking on the social outcast and tag team action. You know, Y2J invited Y2J, or rather invited AJ out to the ring to uh, show his respect and, um, you know, show, you know, that he was grateful for their great match at Fastlane. Now come the social outcast for um, a fun match. I mean, basically what we saw in SmackDown with all these same guys a couple of weeks ago, Y2AJ wins, and um, I thought he was going to turn on him afterwards, and he didn't. So, again, like I said earlier, this is a match I still want to see continue on until WrestleMania. These two have such great chemistry together. The feud has been really, really good. Easily my favorite part of programming since the Royal Rumble. And there is still some unfinished business there. I know AJ won the third match clean and decisively, but you turn Jericho heel and he's been kind of teasing lately. I know on Twitter, I saw this on Monday night that um, someone asked him about Suzuki Nakamura coming to NXT, coming to WWE. And um, Jericho said in response, until he comes to the big leagues, a.k.a. WWE, I don't care. So a great, typical Y2J, just an, a very narcissistic response to the fan. I thought it was great. So Y2J is money. I love babyface Jericho. I love being a Jericho-holic, but Y2J as a heel is absolute money. I can't even say Y2J because it doesn't call himself Y2J as a heel, You know, at least in his last run as a heel a number of years ago. So I'm hoping it leads to what I think it will in a heel, in a heel turn for Jericho at some point, sooner rather than later, because these guys have been ripping it up every single week, no exception on Raw. And um, Tom and I have been pitching maybe an Iron Man match. I don't think that's too likely just because I know WrestleMania is four hours, but they don't like to waste time. Not that it'd be a waste of time, but you know what I mean. It's just they're so... There's such a little time in between that I don't know what you can really do. I mean, you got the entrances, the musical performances, the 10 other matches they'll be doing at WrestleMania. So <clears throat> I don't know what else they have in store for these guys at WrestleMania. I mean, we could get a triple threat with Owens or Owens and AJ for the Intercontinental Championship, which is also very possible. Owens was not on Raw last night, which I was disappointed about, but at the same time, I was also excited just because it meant that he was not going to be overexposed in both Raw and SmackDown, kind of making the IC title a little bit more exclusive to SmackDown, like Daniel Bryan said about a year ago, which I think is awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing KO Mania on SmackDown this week. But yeah, Jericho and AJ, again, in an Iron Man match, a 20-minute match. I don't think it'd be 30, easily not 60, but maybe 20 minutes. Um, so why do Jay and AJ once again in the Ironman match at WrestleMania or just another straight up singles match with Jericho as the heel? You could do that, a triple threat for the IC Championship, or even you could do um, just AJ and Owens. I don't know what you what you do with Jericho at that point, and I feel like these two have had such great, you know, have been on such a roll as of late that there's really no reason to kind of 
break up that momentum by putting Y2J and something else at WrestleMania. So we'll see, but I'm really, really hoping that we get more of Jericho and AJ Styles come WrestleMania. Um, like I said earlier, the Wyatt family taking on Ryback, Kane, and Big Show. A better match than what we saw at Fastlane. So again, the match quality is not the issue here. It's just with the booking, and I just don't care about the Wyatt family, and them losing when it matters most, like we saw at Fastlane. So they lost, or they won here anyway. Um, but like I said, they did not win when it mattered most on the pay-per-view. But the biggest talking point coming out of this is that Ryback turned heel, presumably in this contest, by walking out on his teammates. He cut a promo backstage afterwards saying that, um, I'm done with tag team matches. I'm ready to embark on my own. He didn't really say anything heelish. So and I don't imagine Ryback's going to be in a, in a singles match at WrestleMania. So I don't really know the, what purpose this was supposed to serve. I like I like Ryback a lot better as a babyface, as the Feed Me More guy, just because as a heel, it worked out horribly last time. Maybe if they book it better and they don't do the whole fucking Ryback rules bullshit, which was awful. So we'll see. But um, so far, I'm intrigued. I don't think it's a bad idea or a good idea. We'll see how they follow it up and what they have in store for Ryback at WrestleMania. I just don't want it to be a singles match with Kane or Big Show, which we've seen a million fucking times in the past. And be total shit. But, um, yeah, I thought the match was all right. But, again, the Wyatt family getting just totally overshadowed by the Ryback heel turn. So, again, I just don't care about the Wyatt family. I'm broken. I don't know what they're doing with these guys um, come WrestleMania. They could be in the honor of the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. At this point, I would not be opposed to it. I know Bray Wyatt faced John Cena Undertaker for the last two years of WrestleMania. But I don't know what else you do with them. Unless they put them up against League of Nations and they turn them babyface. I have no fucking clue what you do with the Wyatt family at WrestleMania. I don't really want to see Kalisto versus Bray Wyatt. It's really, really random. At least League of Nations and Wyatt family maybe for the right to be the faction that no one cares about or, you know, I, oh, I'm sorry, the, the the most dominant faction in WWE. That's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. Um, but I don't know. We'll see, you know, come WrestleMania or in the next couple of weeks what they have in store for these guys. Just as of this moment, I really don't have any interest. I'm sorry, but I don't. Uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi had another really, really good match. Their SmackDown match a couple of weeks ago kicked ass and that's not supposed to be a pun with Naomi's gigantic ass or anything like that but honestly that match on Smackdown a couple weeks ago was really really good this was more of the same Sasha Banks winning and it's not like it's not a case of that oh let's put him in the third hour because the fans won't care the crowd was actually pretty into the match for the most part they weren't red hot for it but I enjoyed the match it's not like I didn't care about it I thought it was a really good match but it led to a bigger angle afterwards with Becky saving Sasha from Team Bad afterwards. And then Charlotte came coming out and saying that um, at WrestleMania, I will be defending my Divas Championship against one of you two. A number one contenders match pitting Banks against Becky will take place at some point soon. And that's just paraphrasing there. They didn't say, not even the commentators said, when that match is taking place. They didn't say it was going to happen on SmackDown or on Raw next week. I imagine either on Raw next week or the week after that. So we'll see. But I like how they're promoting something ahead of time for the women, which is very rare. Sometimes they do that for SmackDown, but never for Raw. SmackDown, they've done it more recently as of late, promoting something for the following week. And they kind of do it a lot more... You know, they've been doing it a lot more recently, or they've been doing it... They do it a lot more often during the road to WrestleMania. They don't really do it any other time of the year. Maybe during... You know, football season in September when the ratings are in the shitter are a lot worse than they are now anyway. So who knows? Um, but I like the idea of promoting that match ahead of time. And like I said earlier, a triple threat would be great between Sasha, Becky, and Charlotte just because I think Becky has gotten over has gotten over to a point where she does deserve to be a part of a good match, a meaningful match at WrestleMania, be a part of WrestleMania, period. But I mean, if she's in a battle royal, maybe, maybe if she won with the other women, but... At that point, who really cares? You know, if it's like a 12 Diva tag team match with the remaining women, who gives a fuck, honestly? 
So I'd be open to either a triple threat or just a one-on-one between Charlotte and Banks at WrestleMania, which we pitched months ago. I'm sure many other people did too. But John and I were talking about it when um, uh, when they first debuted on Raw. In late July, early August, is Banks versus Charlotte the long-term plan for WrestleMania 32 for the Davis Championship? And it looks like we might be right. So and I hope that we are, either that or the triple threat. So either way, I'm excited for an actual Divas match at WrestleMania that I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shit about. The match last year, AJ and Paige versus the Bellas was good. They had a decent feud going, but it wasn't for the title. It was a random ass tag team match you could see on any episode of Raw and SmackDown. So I don't think it was too special. It wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't as bad as I don't know the Divas Invitational from a couple years ago, or the Maria Menounos tag team match, or the fucking Snooki six man tag team match, the six person tag team match, rather. So I'm glad that for the first time in almost ten years we have a meaningful women's match at WrestleMania. I'm hooked. And then the main event: Roman Reigns and Sheamus for the millionth time. Pretty lame match. Didn't really care about it, but we got it led to a great angle afterwards with Roman Reigns getting the shit kicked out of him by Triple H. He fought back, but Triple H got the upper hand. Just busting Roman Reigns open. He did not do it the hard way. A, a video has since been released online, not by WWE or anything official, but by a fan who you know caught a sneak peek and recorded it with their phone of uh, Byron Saxton passing something to Roman Reigns, which looked like a blood pack. He's not going to slice himself open. Maybe Brock Lesnar does that because he's just old school like that. But, you know, Roman Reigns or the WWE would not endorse that. But um, I love the fact that when he was beating the crap out of Roman Reigns, the camera actually zoomed in on Reigns getting bloody, which by that point, you know it's it's intentional. It's not like he accidentally got busted open because otherwise they wouldn't have showed it, you know, it's which is rare. Otherwise, you know, nowadays, whenever someone gets busted open, I think it was almost exactly three years ago this week on the exact same Raw right after the February pay-per-view, right after the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view a couple of years ago, um, I believe it was in 2013, Triple H and Brock Lesnar. Also, you know, Triple H is the uh, common denominator here. He, uh, those two guys had a great brawl, I believe, the night after the pay-per-view, or, um, it might have been eight days later, but I'm, it might have been eight days later, I don't remember exactly, I gotta go back and watch it again, I'm pretty sure it was this week, though, three years ago, but the point I'm trying to make is that Brock Lesnar got busted open, I think unintentionally, or he sliced himself open, who knows, sliced, sliced himself open, that's a tongue twister, say that five times fast. Um, but anyway, so he tried to, or he did bloody himself, and when the camera was focusing on Lesnar when he was going back up the ramp, they only caught the side of his face that wasn't bloody. It's like, just show it, dude. It doesn't really matter. I mean, he's, he's busted open. He's not a fucking, you know, it's not that bad. It's just a little bit of blood. I'm sure the kiddies won't be crying themselves to sleep tonight just because they saw some blood on Brock Lesnar. Um, but they did show it. They did zoom in on, on Roman Reigns at the end of the show, which I thought was a great angle. The crowd, albeit, did cheer for Triple H and did make him the babyface here. I'm sure that was not the intent, but you know what? If nothing else, the next couple of weeks for Roman Reigns will be very, very rough. And I don't just say that because the authority will be putting him in tough matches. I say that because Raw will be emanating from Brooklyn, Philly, and Chicago. All of the best wrestling crowds and the most notably hardest crowds to get over in front of the um, not the most cynical, but the most fun crowds and the most heel-loving crowds, the most heel-loving crowds that WWE will ever have in Philly, Chicago, and Brooklyn are all coming up in the next um, the next couple weeks before WrestleMania. So it will be an interesting road to WrestleMania, to say the least, for Roman Reigns. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I mean, maybe a double turn to WrestleMania, but. I mean, I'll be writing an article about this hopefully at some point very, very soon for Hidden Remote. But I do like the idea of Roman Triple H at WrestleMania. And I'm going to get a lot of shit for that, but 
for a couple of reasons. I'll save them for the article, but it's a match that we've been waiting, not been waiting for, but a match that's been in the works for almost three years. I remember I, I remember reading reports dating back to late 2013 that they were planning on doing Triple H and Roman at WrestleMania. A lot of people said too soon, and it was too soon. I thought we were going to get it at SummerSlam after the whole you know, interaction they had during the Evolution and Shield stuff. And we also got a bit in June a little bit, but it never led to anything. They've been kind of teasing it back and forth over the last couple of years, and we're finally getting it at WrestleMania. I'd much rather not have it over the championship, but it's still a good match nevertheless. And after what we saw last night, it could be a very hard-hitting physical affair, which would should probably be the theme of the whole WrestleMania. I mean, Ambrose and Lesnar is already confirmed to be no-holds-barred. Undertaker and Shane McMahon is already confirmed to be Hell in a Cell. In this match, I don't think it's going to be no disqualification. That's a lot of hardcore matches. But you have to know they'll be breaking the rules a lot. A special guest referee, which has been you know rumored for a long time now, with either Daniel Bryan or Batista or Shawn Michaels, you know what have you. There's going to be some interesting elements added to this match, and hopefully it's not the main event. It probably will be. But after the Hell in a Cell match that was confirmed, the, the stipulation and what will happen and who's involved, that should be that's the real main event right there. So they'll be shooting themselves in the foot. That's not going on last. But overall, really, really good Raw. Left me a lot more optimistic about WrestleMania than I was going in um, to last night's Monday Night Raw. Like I said, Fastlane was good, but it didn't really add or take away from my excitement from WrestleMania. I've been saying it for a long time now. With all the injuries that we have with Sting out, John Cena, Randy Orton, Cesaro, Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan retiring... That even with all those top-tier talent out, that WWE could still have a very, very good WrestleMania if they play their cards right. And so far, they fucking have. Ambrose and Lesnar is a blockbuster bout. Sheen Mack versus Undertaker, something that no one ever thought they would see. And there's a lot on the line to make people, you know, even people that haven't seen Sheen in a couple of years, make them care about the match. And then you have for the championship, Roman Reigns versus Triple H, a match that's going to kick ass no matter what you think of it right now. How over you think Roman Reigns might be, or not over, rather. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's going to be a great main event, a great show overall, and that's only three matches. You know, in addition to the obvious Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, maybe Charlotte and Sasha, maybe with Becky involved too, maybe a tag team title match with New Day, Dudleys and Usos, and maybe League of Nations, and Rock showing up, I forgot to mention The Rock, who's already confirmed to be there, Sting going to the Hall of Fame, The Godfather already confirmed to be going to the Hall of Fame as well, which I thought was cool, um, I didn't really shit on the announcement, I thought it was fine, I liked The Godfather, he's not the first person I would induct into the Hall of Fame as of right now, but... They must have reached a deal or something like that, and they didn't announce that on uh, Monday evening. It was broke first by uh, broken first by Bleacher Report, the news was, on Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, I think it was, which is cool. Um, Bleacher Report got a uh, nice little shout-out from Michael Cole on Raw, so I never thought I would see the day. That was pretty cool. But yeah, as far as the Godfather, uh, comma, the good father, what other gimmicks he's had over the last 20 years, I think from that respect, he's always been entertaining, and he's always made whatever he's had, you know, Papa Shango too, Whatever gimmick he's been given, he's made the most of it, which you could say for a lot of people. So I'm sure there's a lot more people that are deserving than just him. In that case, put Wade Barrett in there when he retires, you know, because he had a lot of shitty gimmicks too, and he made the most out of every single one of them. But anyway, um, I think it's a good move. I'm glad to see him in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a cool little get for the WWE Hall of Fame this year in addition to Sting. So we'll see who else is inducted in the weeks ahead. And that's WrestleRant Radio, folks, for February 23rd, 2016. As always, a blast talking to you guys and always reviewing the world of wrestling. Hopefully, RJ will be back next week to help me review Raw and break down all the latest happenings on the road to WrestleMania and every show going forward. I mean, WrestleRant Radio is must-listen every single week, as you guys know, anyone who listens on a regular basis. But um, even more so now, the road to WrestleMania heating up or Fastlane is in the books 
The final pit stop on the road to the show of shows is over and done with, and now we just have Raw and SmackDown, which is always exciting. And speaking of which, as always, like I promoted last week too, WWE EC Radio. Any one of you guys or you know anyone who visits the website regularly enough, nextdoorwrestling.net, will know that the shows have been going up right here in the archive. You can check them out here in the archive on the website, nextdoorwrestling.net. New episodes go up every Thursday afternoon where me, Tom, and sometimes RJ break down NXT from Wednesday night. So I know I don't talk about NXT a lot, if really ever, here on the show, but we do full in-depth reviews of NXT on WWE EC Radio every Thursday afternoon. We go live around 1, 1.30. I'll promote the link maybe on Twitter, but the archived edition is better and it goes up on Thursday afternoons. And um, we also preview SmackDown and talk about everything that's going on in the world of WWE. And I'm sure it's going to be a blockbuster episode this Thursday when we talk about Fastlane and Shane O'Mac coming back. Tom was equally as excited as I was when we were texting back and forth on Monday. So I'm looking forward to talking to him on Thursday on WWE EC Radio, on EC Radio, also available right here in archived edition and an archived version on nextairwrestling.net. So like I said, folks, have a great rest of your week. And of course, before we go off the air, my traditional, my obvious cheap plugs, my uh, mandatory, my required cheap plugs. They're not really required. I just throw them in just for the hell of it. But you guys can follow me on Twitter. I want to hear your thoughts on what's been going on right now in WWE and everything else in the world of wrestling. At WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Graham.Houston.Matthews. Give the page an old thumbs up. And also be sure to check out the YouTube channel for exclusive excerpts of this very show. If you can't catch the full show sometimes, or not sometimes, I always do, every single Tuesday after the show gets uploaded, that Tuesday night I upload excerpts of WrestleRant Radio to the YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham Houston Matthews. Excerpts of WWE C Radio are also up, in addition to hashtag AskGSM, the WrestleRant pay-per-view reviews, random video blogs, and so much more exclusive content on the YouTube channel. And last but not least, this very website, nextairwrestling.net, traffic has been through the roof, breaking records over the last couple of months, especially last month alone. So thank you guys for your incredible support of the website. And uh, going forward, a lot of great content coming up. RJ's been pumping out articles almost every single day, RJ's Two Cents. Check it out, JJF's take from... uh, Jared Jackson Ferrans, great writer, great dude. He's been promote, uh, promoting a lot of, or rather producing a lot of great content for the website in recent weeks. And even John, his 25th edition of John's Jargon is up for Monday night, talking about three rivalries of Daniel Bryan that we were never able to see in WWE. Really, really good article. Check it out. And that's it, guys. Plugs are out of the way. WrestleRant Radio is out of the way for this week. And we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of WrestleRant Radio talking about the world in WWE, the world in wrestling, and everything else going on on the road to WrestleMania. So until next time, guys, I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch you folks down the road.